This is episode number seven of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. In this episode, we're going to be talking about something a little different than the things you might have heard on previous episodes. This time, we're going to focus on the Internet of Things, otherwise known as IoT. I have a special guest on this episode. Her name is Jen Looper, and she actually does a lot of work with IoT, not only from a hardware perspective, but also from a development perspective. She's going to shed some light on what IoT is all about where you can buy your hardware, and what kind of programming languages are necessary to develop for IoT devices. Not only uh, when it comes to programming them, but how to actually get your code onto the devices themselves. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the podcast. I'm with Jen Looper, who I like to think as, of as my unofficial mentor when it comes to hardware-based applications, or uh, hardware-based projects, I mean. Uh, so before we talk, start talking about uh, this core subject material of this particular episode, I want to give Jen a chance to introduce herself. Uh, so how are you, Jen? Hi, I'm great. Thanks, Nick. And um, what an honor to be considered your mentor because I'm, you know, we're all just learning here. <laughs> and, um, you know, with these little gadgets, we all have a lot of fun. So uh, it can easily turn into a huge time sucker. <laughs> so it's it's a great thing to, to be able to have fun with. Um, but anyway, yeah, my name is Jen, and I'm actually a developer advocate at Progress Software. Um, formerly, the company that I was uh, working with is Telerik, and we were acquired by Progress. So you might know one of those two um, names. And um, in terms of what I my, my actual job is, is I'm since I'm a developer advocate, I get to talk to developers about all the, you know, integrations that they might need to uh, to do with our our software suites. Um, tangentially, sometimes I get to talk about hardware because you can, you know, integrate some hardware with uh, some of our software, and that's a fun thing to try. Uh, just different ways of you know interfacing with what we build. So um, yeah, it's a great job. I love it, and I get to travel and speak a lot and uh, meet really cool people like Nick who is actually one of our developer experts. So that's really cool, too. Awesome. So where are you, where are you located at, Jen? Yeah, I'm actually in Boston, uh, where it's been really, really dry. So today it's raining, and I hope that uh, that won't impact the audio. But uh, yeah, I'm in nice, cool Boston right now. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's like a furnace over here in California. So uh, you oh, probably have it very lucky over there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I've actually seen you present, and I know that you do a lot of um, IoT-related stuff. Um, but can you tell me, like, just a quick overview on what exactly uh, does IoT mean? What, what's it all about before we talk about uh, developing? Yeah, sure. So Internet of Things is almost like one of those buzzwords that means everything and nothing at this point, I think. So, which is kind of a problem because you say, you know, you just bring up the phrase and people have no earthly idea what you're talking about. So um, it really is referring to this whole network of little physical devices. And usually these devices are embedded, um, which means that they're embedded with uh, electronics, you know, sensors, softwares, um, actuators, network connectivity um, devices. And they can be small, they can be kind of big, but they are usually low energy. So that's one of the... Uh, 
uh, they don't use a they don't use a lot of power to 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 do what they need to do, and um, a good example of an Internet of Things device that the layperson might be familiar with um, is the Nest. So this is uh, a project uh, I believe Google acquired them, uh, but it's it's to uh, enable home automation to make your home a little bit more smart. People like to talk about smart homes. Um, it's funny because I was just having a long conversation with my Uber driver, so talking to a, a perfect layperson. Although he did have a little bit of electronics background, and he had, you know, created an entire smart home set, smart home setup uh, with his Nest, he really loved it, uh, and he was looking forward to some of the new things coming out of of Google to make his home a little bit more livable, a little bit smarter, and more energy efficient. So, Internet of Things has to do with all these devices that are um, sensing what's around them and helping us uh, interface with um, actual hardware devices. So would you say that uh, IoT-related things are strictly in the uh, analytics and data collection kind of uh, space, or does it Uh, expand elsewhere? Yeah, I think that it does expand elsewhere. I think people are really pushing the envelope uh, to, uh, like, proximity um, uh, detecting, anything that has to do with sensing anything that's going around. And I think that's, like, a really large definition. Um, But I think there's... I mean, there's a lot of applications for this kind of thing. So, so let so, me ask you this. Um, so I have an Android phone. Is that considered an IoT device or is that considered something else? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, uh, I think in the, if, you're, if you understand IoT as being as like a large definition, you could look at your Android phone as being an Internet of Things device because it certainly is sensing what's, what's around it. It has, you know, all of the embedded uh, tools. But one thing I think that, disqualifies it from that definition is that it's not necessarily a low energy device. So maybe that's where I would draw the line. Like your smartphone is not necessarily, you know, uh, this kind of low energy device. So I don't think you could really qualify it uh, in the strict sense as an IoT device. So are IoT devices uh, things that strictly uh, can have access to the internet um, in their own isolated environment? Or would you say that something like maybe uh, an iBeacon or an Eddystone beacon would be considered an IoT device, even though that they don't directly communicate with the internet. They use other devices as well. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting uh, question. Yeah, it's uh, even though we talk about the Internet of Things, uh, uh, that's the that's the def- definition of actually the thing that needs something else to interface with uh, with the internet to get it online. Um, yeah, so I would I would consider a beacon certainly uh, a part of the Internet of Things. It's one of the things that creates this network. Sure, so it's one of the components. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to developing these things, I know that um, you've you've thrown out a whole slew of uh, devices in the past. Uh, take for example, I think you're big on on photons, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which, particle, would, um, which particle is a type IO. of mm-hmm. yeah, a part of hardware, uh, type of hardware. Um, what what kind of development languages do you use when you when you uh, start developing for these things? Yeah, so um, a lot of people jumped in. I think the two big groups of uh, Internet of Things devices that people jump onto when they're just getting started is either the Arduino uh, family, uh, which Photon is a member of that, um, or the Raspberry Pi family. And with Raspberry Pi, you're, you're writing in Python. And uh, for the uh, Arduino family, there's a there's a separate language. I think it's called Wiring that you're that you're writing. So um, do you know what? Although some of the sorry. oh sorry to interrupt. Uh, do you know what Wiring is similar to? Because I personally have never heard of that before. Yeah. Uh, 
Gee, good question. Um, I want to say it's a little bit more Ruby-ish, but I don't hold me to that. Okay. <laughs> it's been a little while since I've written straight up Arduino code. <laughs> sure. But you, you were saying, sorry, uh, but, I interrupted you. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying that some uh, devices such as the uh, the Photon, actually, uh, you ha they have like JavaScript SDKs, so you can fall back on your uh, current JavaScript st uh, skills to to interface with that device without having to learn, you know, extra extra code in all different languages. That's kind of helpful. <laughs> so, in the scenario where where you're you're programming uh, with JavaScript on these on these pieces of hardware, do they provide you like an SDK that you use, or is it uh, yeah. something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of these c companies are starting to really um, build nice pieces of software to interface with their uh, devices. They're selling you the device, but they also sell you the cloud, the IDE, and the um, uh, and the extra pieces that you need to use it. So like uh, Particle IO, which builds what used to be called Spark and now is called the Photon, they have a whole cloud uh, uh, build tool that you're basically writing like on, you're writing your code online and flashing it to your code online. Um, so that's um, a very helpful like IDE that they provide to you. It just makes it a little bit more, um, a little bit easier to get your code to that device. That's one of the reasons I like it so much. Can, can the Photon operate uh, without being connected to the um, uh, Photon servers? Uh, yeah, so what you do is you, you take the code, you write it, and then you flash it to the Photon, and then it, it will just start executing, so it's uh, stored on the device. Sure. Yeah, so I actually have uh, a few Raspberry Pi devices. You threw those out there as well. Um, I, I'm actually a hoarder of those, so I have, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I have every model, um, including the Pi Zero. Um, is, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the Pi Zero at all? Yes, I was given a Pi Zero by a very kind person at Fluent Conference who just pulled it out of his pocket after I was mentioning that I really wanted one. I couldn't get one. And he said, you know, <laughs> I'll give it to you if you'll build something with it. It was like the kindest moment at the booth, you know, one of those great booth moments. Um, and I am looking to build some, <laughs> actually, I'd love to build an easy bake oven with that device to see if I could like recreate that. Um, because I think with a Raspberry Pi, you should be able to actually cook a raspberry pie with it so that's 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 the goal with that device it's just a question of time you know <laughs> that, that would be pretty cool so uh all of all of these devices have different form factors um and of course probably have different components on them uh is there any specific um add-on hardware that you need in order to get started with these kind of things yeah, I think that the one thing that uh, I think people don't realize is that um, a lot of them, you're going to need to find a way to power them. And I actually, I had bought a Blues IO device off a of Kickstarter, and um, which is a, it's like a Photon, but it also has a beacon integrated with it. So um, that reduces the need for an, 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 uh, an Estimote beacon. So I have this device and I'm looking at it and I'm like, how do I turn it on? There's no, uh, there's no port. So I needed to run out and get a, um, a battery set up for it. And it needs a, sh a sh what we call a shield. So a shield is what you install the device onto and that connects to the battery. And it's just like, don't forget when you're, when you're starting to build with IoT devices that you're going to need to figure out how to power those suckers. <laughs> it's like one of those things that everyone forgets. So, so with, with this shield, is this something that you solder uh, your, your chip onto or is it uh, kind of snap in or, or kind of explain yeah. that? Yeah. So for the blues, um, the blues comes with 
pins, sort of like the Photon and also like uh, the Raspberry Pi. And you can snap that right into the shield. However, I don't have the shield, so I'm going to mock it up with a little tiny uh, no-pin shield. So I'm going to need to do some soldering. It's going to be kind of interesting. But you can also get little pins that you can snap into it yourself. Uh, I, I need it to fit in a very tiny area, so I'm trying to figure out how to architect this thing. I have, I have it right here. It's called a mm, Lee Poly Lee, Lee, Lee Ion, and it has a rechargeable battery attached to it. It's just like I just had it on hand because I, I'm having trouble getting the, the parts that I need. So that, that's another problem. I think that um, I'm really lucky in that I can go down Highway 95 in Boston and there's an electronics store and it has a, just a huge amount of stuff that you're going to need. All the little cables and all the pins and all the shields and the batteries. Um, and if you're not lucky uh, and kind of live in an area that doesn't have this awesome hardware store, you might need to um, hop on to Adafruit, which is the kind of main store on the internet for, um, for getting these bits and pieces. And it can get expensive with the shipping. So I would just say plan carefully, think through your project and, uh, and do your shopping in one fell swoop if you can. Uh, otherwise it's just, a, it's so, it's so frustrating when you got your code written, you're ready to flash and you realize, oh my gosh, I'm missing a cable. <laughs> That's just like terrible. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't sound good. So for this blues, uh, so you mentioned Photon, you used uh, a form of JavaScript, and Raspberry Pi used Python. What what are you using to develop for this blues device? So for blues, um, I it's uh, it's it's built on top of the Photon protocol, so it'll probably be pretty much the same code that I use on Photon. So I hope that I can leverage the the JavaScript that I that I'm currently using. Um, there's also some real interesting JavaScript libraries that people are developing. If you're a JavaScript developer and you want to de develop for the Internet of Things, there's uh, Johnny Five, which is like a robotics library. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. You just have to start Googling. But usually at this point in time, you can find like an IoT library in the language of your choice that will work nicely for what you need to do. So, so you mentioned robotics. You mentioned the Nest and being the online thermostat. Um, are applications for these IoT devices, can you pretty much develop whatever you can think up? Is that the beauty of it? I think so. Um, the thing that people... There, there's a difference, I think, between the people who are in the makerspace and who want to just hack together some interesting products and play around and use breadboards to install bits and pieces on and just make fun things versus the people who are trying to actually make a product. Um, you need to move past the hacking phase and start developing maybe your own little little devices. And usually you go to Shenzhen and have it done you know, professionally for you. Um, that's like the dividing piece that I think a lot of people um, maybe don't realize. Um, and I think I just dodged your question, but um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, but, sorry. So, um, oh, go on. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no you, go ahead. It's like, oh, yeah, I was going to say. So, you said the Blues uses uh, it's, it's an add on to Photon, if I understood correctly. Does this mean that you can deploy the code through the same Photon editor that you mentioned online? I believe that Blues has their own, but they I think they're modeling closely after what uh, what Photon has done. So it's deployed uh, over there. Have some extra, yeah, it's um, some extra bits. Uh, I know that they have a, an an app that you can d uh, download so that you can manage your beacons, which is integrated in the Blues. So uh, it, a lot of these devices do come with their own softwares that you can 
Sure. And are, uh, access. are all of these uh, softwares very similar between these devices, even if they have uh, completely different companies behind them? Like if I wanted to get started with one um, and I wanted to move on to another, do I have to learn a whole new skill set when it comes to development? Yeah, it's a good question. I found that Raspberry Pi development using um, Python is a little bit different than moving on to using the Photon. I think there is a bit of a learning curve. But like I said, there are all these libraries now that, um, like Cylon.js, that's a good example of a JavaScript library that you can use, and it allows you to interface with all different devices. So maybe if you are really just want to stay in one language, take a look at a library like Cylon and see how it can, um, it can allow you to interface with all the different devices. All right, so it's that- like a, like a, like allows you to bridge, you know, rather than getting close to the metal and really, uh, and really developing directly. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds promising then, because I if I'm starting out with with learning how to do IoT and I buy this cheap hardware or or whatever it may be, and I decide maybe my skills have improved and I want to move on to better hardware, uh, knowing that I wouldn't have to um, learn learn everything all over again would would be pretty nice. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, it's kind of the dream of the right once and run everywhere, which is like trigger language for a lot of people. But these libraries are, are very helpful. There was a kid, actually, like I think he was maybe 13 at Fluent, who talked about using Cylon.js to build on. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Uh, he did a lightning talk and, uh, and just, you know, had managed to pick it up quickly and build. It's really nice. Sure. So are there any, uh, say, IoT devices that I, I'm, I, I don't think I already asked this, but are there any IoT devices that don't um, deploy through a, a cloud platform that um, uh, maybe you can deploy directly? Yeah, so like an Arduino, kind of um, these original device families that uh, uh, I think Arduino is really the best. What you do is you download their, um, I think it's called just like Arduino Studio, something like that, but it's, a, it's an IDE and it allows you just to plug in your Arduino to your comp- local computer. And then you just um, flash the code directly over the USB. So you don't need to be going, you know, online and flashing code over the internet. That's like a different use case. But with an Arduino, you just like build and run, build and run. So do I need to have any kind of familiarity with uh, Linux in order to make direct direct deployment possible? Um, I don't think so. Uh, the IDE that uh, is provided by Arduino allows you to just... Um, just deploy directly. I, I'm on a Mac, you know, so I just like open up the studio, plug in my Arduino, and just like post over. All right, very cool. Uh, so, so you've given us a, a pretty good overview on a few devices and um, development technologies. Have you yourself uh, made anything uh, worth talking about as as far as IoT? Any projects that you've worked on that are pretty cool? Yeah, um, I don't know if it's you know worth talking about, but um, I uh, if you visit my site called thinglearn.com, um, um, I'm particularly interested in um, making small projects that are appealing to kids and having them learn how to you know become familiar with both hardware and software development and the science behind it, which is kind of my particular fascination um, because I think. I think it's easy to talk about the Internet of Things and you just slap this code here and you turn that LED on there. But I don't know how much is being learned um, in terms of uh, children's education. So I'm trying to go a little bit deeper. But anyway, if you visit ThingLearn and you look at, um, I have some projects sorted by easy, intermediate, and difficult. Um, Like the easiest project, I think, is like this Play-Doh project, which is uh, borrowed from uh, uh, Squishy Circuits, which is a, a group, I think, out of Australia 
you use Play-Doh, conductive Play-Doh to turn on lights. I mean, it's really fun and weird, but very cool things that kids can get into. Um, I do a lot of sewing projects, so you can use conductive thread. I actually am working on making some shoes light up for a conference for Angular Connect, actually. I'm going to have my shoes light up. Uh, That's going to use a photon and some LED sequins. Um, And then my more advanced project is um, a beacon photon integration that uh, allows you to use the web to open a box remotely. And these boxes would be installed throughout a museum or throughout a cultural site. So I call them treasure boxes. And you you use a beacon to approach a particular sculpture, for example, and then you'll be uh, a URL will be pushed to, towards you, and you can uh, use the button uh, on that website to open the box and learn a little bit more about the uh, about the object. So that's leveraging the physical web. That's kind of a more advanced project because there's you know there's a photon, there's a beacon. It's got an Eddystone protocol. It uses the uh, Estimote uh, beacon cloud to um, to push URLs over. There's some software. It's like there's a lot of bits and pieces there. Um, I'm actually working on redoing that project using blues. So that's why I keep talking about blues because it might simplify that a little bit more, but uh, that's a, a project that I developed for fluent conference. So you, and it was really fun to demo it. Yeah. Are you open sourcing this stuff that you, that you uh, design? Uh, yeah, everything is up uh, on my GitHub. Um, so, and then I, I write, write articles about them. I post it on my website and then I'm, actually uh, working with Hackster.io, which is a wonderful group of, of, of folks who uh, kind of collect all these interesting projects. If you go to Hackster.io, um, if you get involved in the community, and this is actually how I kind of got started, I started like interacting with that community and then you get points on Hackster and then you can get like free devices from their store. It's pretty magical, <laughs> um, but that's a great, uh, a great resource uh, for uh, getting all the open source um, projects that you need, including my stuff. On Hackster, I actually curate the, uh, the kids' channels, so projects that kids might like. Uh, so you can take a look at all. And all of the stuff on Hackster is, uh, should be open source. So I have some questions regarding your tutorial site for kids. So mm-hmm. um, I know that when I first started looking at IoT and developing for IoT, it was very foreign to me because I'm a software developer. Not, I, don't, I don't work with hardware. Um, but so I'm 28 years old. Um, if I were to look at this site for kids, which I assume is directed to be very easy, uh, would I still benefit from, from reviewing the tutorials on this, this site or would they be Uh, a different kind of, um, like more kiddie and, and kind of boring for an adult? Uh, it really depends on how much of a child at heart you are. I, I mean, I have a terrible weakness for um, uh, little things that that light up, like there's um, like light up name tags, uh, things you can do with LEDs. I think that what you can do is take a look at a simple project and then think about how it would translate to something that's more of interest to you. Like uh, it, it maybe maybe you you think it's weird to have like LED sequins lighting up barrettes, you know, and, and hair bows, which is what I, one of my projects, but maybe you could convert that project in your mind to, to use conductive thread and sequins to create that parallel circuit um, to light up something else. Like, um, I don't know, like your shoes, for example, All right. <laughs> something that is not necessarily girly and kitty, but something that, you know, would translate. I'm hoping that a lot of this stuff is translatable basically. Sure. That sounds very promising. So just a just a few more questions before uh, we wrap it up. Um, you did you did mention a lot of devices. How many devices do you actually own? Out of curiosity, 
<laughs> oh dear. Are you a hoarder like <laughs> you, me? So, yeah, you're a hoarder too. Yeah. Um, I, oh my gosh. So I have this like little chest of drawers here and it's full of, um, gadgets. I think maybe I've got maybe 30, just like a bits and pieces lying around and I try to organize myself and it's just like, oh, so yeah, it's very easy. I think the best thing I got was this kit. Uh, it was an Arduino starter kit. I believe I got that from Adafruit and that kind of, I keep going back to that kit because it has like all these little cables and bits and pieces. Um, so I just keep that in its own separate box and keep going back to that. So if you're a starter and you don't want to be, become a hoarder, get one of the starter kits and try not to keep buying stuff. <laughs> Finish a project and then start something else. So do you find yourself getting rid of these IoT devices after time or do they stay relevant for a, a good amount of time? Yeah, no, I, I, I can't throw things away. I just, <laughs> I can't. Um, I've found that you can actually desolder. Uh, I, I think I have a tutorial on how to get rid of, like how to unsolder things that you've already soldered. So then you can kind of have some reuse because actually, I mean, some of these devices are a little pricey. Uh, the blues was like $25. You don't want to just like use it once and chuck it, even though it's tiny. Um, may as well try to build something on it, reuse it. See how see how much mileage you can get out of it. The, tr the trick is to not fry it. Once it's fried, you know, <laughs> that's it. So uh, just just to be clear, so is your recommendation for any first timer to use uh, an Arduino starter kit, or is it, or do you have another recommendation for a first timer? I would say, yeah, uh, take a look at the Arduino starter kits. Um, I think that I mean, mine's kind of old. It's with a real old Arduino. It's probably like a version one or something. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a good strategy because then you won't be running back and forth to the store or ordering 25 times from Autofree to get this or that cable. Um, I, I think, yeah, go for the starter kit and then figure out what, what it is that you like to do. And then off the top um, of your head, do you know how much those kits yeah. cost? Let me see if I can find the in, price tag. I in think U.S. It, dollars? U.S. dollars, I'm going to say about 25 or 30 so very Maybe a reasonable. little bit more, and I, yeah, and I feel that um, the price is probably going down because there's there's many other starter projects. I mean, um, Photon has a starter. Raspberry Pi is extremely oriented towards beginners, so if you look at the, I mean, they're they designed to teach kids how to code and how to um, how to interface with hardware. So they are. Um, offering kits. I just saw actually some kits in the store. Um, and the price is just going down, down, down. I mean, a Raspberry Pi is like, what, $5 now? It's insane. It's yeah, I, re I recently picked up uh, a few Pi Zeros because they came back in stock. Yeah, yeah, they were $5 each. It's incredible. It is. It's amazing. My first Raspberry Pi was, I think, also like 25 or 30 it's really the shipping that bites every time. So yes, <laughs> you can exactly. avoid that, your money ahead. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think there's many retailers in the United States that sell Raspberry Pi, so I find myself always ordering from Europe. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, if you go into Hackster.io, um, go ahead and get involved in that community and then visit their shop as you get points. And then maybe you can get a free, like I've gotten a couple free photons from them, and that's a money saving. That's like 20 bucks a pop. That is pretty so good. That's a nice thing. Yeah, I got a Pebble watch uh, with my points. So wow. It's, you know, it's one of the older versions, but still, you can hack it. Why, you know, if it's free, go ahead. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. So is there any uh, last minute words of wisdom on the topic of IoT and development uh, that you'd like to share with my listeners? Um, I... I would just say that um, don't be afraid to, you know, get your hands dirty and break things. Uh, if you are at all handy with your hands, it's great, uh, you know, a great uh, activity to do on a winter's evening when you're just home. It does take a little bit of time to, you know, get something built. But uh, I, I think it's a wonderful hobby for the, the maker and the maker wannabe. Um, I do recommend that you do learn how to solder. It's not that hard. Uh, don't do what I did and drip it on your pants because that hurts. <laughs> it's so hot. Um, but, you know, it's all a learning process and uh, it'll, it'll help. It'll help, you know, make your hand steady and your eyes, you know, steady just to get these tiny things working. And it's, it's just a huge, hugely gratifying thing to, you know, watch the LED go on and watch the, the data come, start to come through in the, in, the, in the sensing cloud that you're watching, you know, when you see that the... the if you have a proximity sensor, when you see the, the, you know, the light go on when you walk by, you know, there's just these really fun things. It's extremely gratifying. So I don't know, as a software developer, you know, we don't have so many, it seems to me, of these gratifying moments where the, the light literally goes on, you know, so have some fun with hardware to, to just for a change. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, I appreciate you <laughs> taking the time out of your of your day uh, to be on this podcast. I'm sure many of my listeners will find this very educational. Uh, maybe in the future good, we'll have good. you back on another episode. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It was good fun. <laughs> Happy hacking. Yep. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found what Jen Looper had to say very educational to put you on a good start towards developing for IoT devices. Any links that Jen referenced in the episode, I will include them in the show notes. If you have any questions regarding this episode, take them to thepolyglotdeveloper.com slash podcast hyphen questions. So questions is actually plural. Uh, Just go ahead and fill out the form and, and specify which episode you had a question regarding, and either Jen or myself will get back to you with some answers. If you're listening to this episode, from a platform such as iTunes or anything else that allows you to leave a review. It would, leave, it would mean a lot to me if you went in and left it a five-star rating and then said something nice about the podcast itself so that way other listeners might be able to benefit from the content that I release. And that concludes episode number seven.